It's an actually probably supposed to be here, and um, my wife gets very nervous because just before I stood up, I said, I feel like God's asked me to share something completely different to, the, to what I prepared, and she says, why do you do <laughs> So, please pray for me, <laughs> but I'm going to just in worship. I just felt like God wants to do something with us this, with us this morning, and when I say us, I'm, I'm talking about myself included, and um, I know you and Lisa have asked us to share a little bit of our story. My wife gets very nervous when we, when, we share our, when we share our testimony because she looks like such a pretty girl, but she was such a bad influence on me when I was growing up. <laughs> we met each other when we were 15 years old. We, um, uh, I, I joined a school that my wife was already at, and um, we fell in love from an early age. Uh, we both grew up in, in, in Christian homes. And when I say Christian homes, I, don't, I, I never want to knock what we were brought up in. But unfortunately, I think it was Dudley Daniel, the guy that started um, MCMI, he said it's, so, it's more important what we get saved into than what we get saved out of. Because all of us come to a place of salvation when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But it's what we get saved into that will determine the impact and influence that we have on our, on our lives, on our family's lives, and the society that God has called us to reach. And so unfortunately, both of us were, were, were saved into it wasn't an unbiblical model, but it was a bit legalistic, it was a bit religious, and I, I can just remember just growing up, it's, it's almost like I, I wanted to give my life to Jesus because of the environment that we grew up in, but the motivation for our salvation wasn't grace and the love of God, the motivation was fear of death and hell. And I'm like, is that the good news? And so I grew up in that model where it was just all about Jesus is coming and get your life sorted out, repent or spend eternity in hell. And it was just like a turn or burn message almost like every Sunday. Honestly, our church never grew to more than 15 people. It was, it was 15 people that were just gathering every Sunday. The same message was preached over and over. And it was just like a sense of legalism and, and fear of what is going to happen. And, and it was almost like we blocked out the rest of our community and it became about us waiting for Jesus return to the point when my mom fell pregnant with my younger sister when I was 13 years old and because of this environment that I grew up in in this church I sat my mom and dad down at the age of 13 when they told us that they that they're going to have another baby and I said to them mom and dad that is so irresponsible for you guys to bring another baby into the world when you know that the world is coming to an end you see that's the environment that we grew up in here I am so many years later, with so many of my own relatives, Jesus is coming back. But we're not motivated by the fear of what, what's going to come. We are motivated by the love of Jesus. And when we are motivated by the right thing, then we can be the church that Jesus called us to be. So growing up in that environment, there comes a point in your life when it's religious, when it's legalistic, you eventually get to the place where you almost feel like, I cannot do this Christian thing. And that caused Sunday night to rebel. And so we were like, I'm just trying to think if there's any people that shouldn't be hearing this, <laughs> but we started an intimate, a, an intimate relationship at the age of 16 years old. And I'm like, that's stuff that should have been reserved for, for our marriage. But we did everything the wrong way around because there was something lacking in our hearts. We grew up in this environment that wasn't helpful for us. We totally rebelled against the things of God and we found each other. And in that we were influenced, not just by each other, but by the people that we started hanging around with. And then we started from a young age, I think we were both 16 years old when, when we, I mean we never say this, eh? Me and my wife used to smoke um, marijuana from the age of 16. <laughs> How beautiful she is, eh? I think, 
after the old promise of Zion to be the next prophet, the next evangelist, but what we need to aspire to is to be the next Matthew Hayward, someone who falls in love with Jesus and says, actually, church is not about me, it's not about us. God hasn't called us to be like a choir that get together and sing fancy songs. God has called us to be a church that knows how to impact the nations of the world by letting people see what our love and that understanding he has given us the gift. He's given us the good news. That's what we are. We are bearers of good news. And so I do a little, little thing wherever I can. And I, I trust I haven't done it over here. But has anybody... Hey? I haven't been here, so I wouldn't have done it. But... So just bear with me for a few seconds. Does anybody know a book in the Bible called John 3 verse 16? So don't be shocked. If you know John 3, and don't be embarrassed if you don't know it, but John 3 verse 16, come on, come on, brave hands. I'm not going to put you on the spot. So there you go. Look, just, so keep your hands up for a second. I'm really not going to embarrass you. So John 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now everybody's okay. Yeah, I know that one too. More hands are going up. But we all know this scripture so well. John 3, let's do another one. John 3, verses 14 and 15. John 3, verses 14 and 15. It's only two verses before John 3, verses 16. So this is for me, it's the most amazing passage of Scripture. I don't think John 3, 16 is the important one. John 3, verses 14 to 15 is the important one. It says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. For God so loved, for anyone believes, may be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so you go and read that passage of scripture in, in Numbers chapter 21. And that's where the Israelites, God's people, were sinning. And they were speaking against Moses, speaking against God, were moaning and complaining. But, but what they forgot was God was taking them out of slavery. He used Moses as a type of a savior to take them out of slavery. The promise in chapter 3 verse 8 I think was I'm going to give you land of your own the land flowing with milk and honey that was where God was going to take them that was the promise and I think for us as believers that is a promise that God has given us we've got an eternal relationship waiting for us with Jesus but while we're on that journey to be with Jesus God has got a plan and purpose for us in this life and so as they were now holding on to the promise they were looking back to what they had before they were, were saved. They were looking back to slavery. They started mourning and said, we remember the leeks and the fish and all this stuff we ate at no cost. You see, they were in a desert experience, but they couldn't persevere because they lost sight of the future. And all of a sudden they started looking back instead of looking forward. God has not called us to look back. He's called us to look forward to where he wants to take us. And all of a sudden, God became angry. And what he did was he sent venomous snakes amongst the people. And the venomous snakes started biting these grumblers and complainers. And as they were being bitten by these snakes, they started to die. And then, so, the consequence of their sinful behavior was death. And I think that's exactly what happened to mankind. Consequence of man's sin is death. We're all going to die. I'm not talking about age group of this church, but the reality is in, in about 80 years' time, we're all going to be with Jesus if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. But that's the reality. Life is very short. But death is the result of man's sin. And all of us are subject to death. So that's, that's the bad news. The good news is that that's not what God wants for us. God wants us to give us our life. And that's what we call it, being born again. God so loves us that he wants to give us our life back. So don't feel like we've done something wrong. We were born into the sinful world. By virtue of 
Adam and Eve sinned. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. But I love that picture. So Moses, the people come and complain to Moses, Moses, we have sinned against God and the consequence is we're dying. Speak to God. Ask God for mercy. Moses goes and speaks to God. And this is what God said. Moses, I want you to make a snake of bronze. I want you to go put it in the desert. And then go and tell the people, if anybody has been bitten by the snake, go and look at the snake that's put up in the desert, and you will live. That is it. And so all that was required of mankind was to be obedient to what God had said. There was no religious requirement. There was nothing like go and look and find the snake that Moses put up in the desert. Go and bow down before it. Repent of all your sinful behavior. Bring some sort of a sacrificial offering. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time worshiping and running around the snake. And by doing all of that, you will get your life back. No, it's just look at the snake. And so I think this is important for us. I'm not saying it's not important to spend time in God's Word. I'm not saying it's not important to to spend time praying. It is important, but that's not what saves us. Saving comes from God. I grew up, grew up, we grew up in a country where the majority of the people in our country are illiterate. They can't read, they can't write. And so my, my thinking is, I need to say to people, what if you really want to get to know Jesus? You're going to have to learn to read and write. I want you to be able to grow a relationship with Jesus. How can I say that when God says, preach the good news to the poor? You see, salvation doesn't belong on our ability to be able to read the Bible. Salvation comes from us seeing Jesus as a revelation of who he is. That's the good news. And so for us growing up in our sort of environment makes it easier for me to share this type of message. Because I'm not trying to draw people away from the word of God. But what I am saying is when it comes to preaching and teaching, we have got a huge responsibility when people rock up and come and, I don't know if cup is a word, it's not a word. <laughs> when people arrive on a Sunday to hear us preach, we must be very careful that we stick to the word of God. And I'm not saying this. I know you in Vanessa. We met them in Paris and we've fallen in love with Jesus. We've been over the local church, but we can't fall in love with this couple because we know that God has called them to lead and guide you into all that God has for you. And if you read the book of Ephesians chapter 4, we have got to believe, and if we don't believe this, then we're trying to do our own thing. But the book of Ephesians says it was Jesus who gave some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be teachers, some to be pastors, and I think some to be apostles. Those are the gifts that God gives to the local church so that the church will be built up. Let me quickly read that. It's a great passage of scripture. And then I'll try and get back to what I felt God wants you to share. So this is just all introduction, by the way. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. And um, I want to, I almost in a sense want to read Ephesians chapter 4 and, and uh, in a sense trust that this church will be encouraged. Uh, I'm not standing here as, as a gift to the church. I'm doing this because I've been given an invitation to come and preach from here. And um, people will receive what, what they feel the gift is. If they feel like I'm a prophetic gift, then they will receive that sort of prophetic gift from me. If they feel like I'm here to encourage them, then that's, <clears throat> then that's good. But as part of this New Covenant Ministries team, my bet as well is to see the local church being strengthened and encouraged by falling more in love with Jesus. But this is what Ephesians chapter 4 says. To prepare, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 
for freely giving this gift. Verse 12 says, Prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So this is part of you and Vanessa's role in, the, in this local church. If God has given them the gift to pastor this local church, then this is part of people. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every spring ligament, will grow up and build itself up in love as each part does its work. I am convinced that the one of the roles that you and Vanessa carry is to make sure that this church doesn't get tossed back and forth. What is it that God has called this local church to do? And how do they best administrate that so that this local church, the, the body is made up of many members. We don't say the foot doesn't need the hand. No, we're made up of many members. But Jesus is the head. And I'm not saying every church needs to be different. Every church needs to fall in love with Jesus. But there's going to be a different application or different outworking of what we do in every local church. I've been with Steve and Debbie. I've been with Terry and Sandy in, 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 in Denver. We're now with your church here back in Chicago. And every church has got a different flavor. That's because God has called us to the same thing, but there will be a different way of expressing that. And I want to encourage you, catch the heart of you and Vanessa. Plug in, tuck in behind them and say, God, how can we together get to this place where every supporting ligament does what God has called us to do? And that brings me to a passage of scripture that I want you to share, not today, but as as we're worshiping. And it's in the book of Daniel. And um, I want to just look at three pictures. I'm not going to, you can literally preach out of every single one of these. But there's these three pictures that I see in the book of Daniel that to me has been super helpful. Because just as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got taken out of their environment and got put in as an environment where it was a godly society, Babylon, there was something of their relationship with Jesus that I think is super helpful for us. And they did come into this Babylon society and say to each other, well, come on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We cannot live amongst these evil people. We've got to find ways of us just separating ourselves and just really trusting God that somehow God will save us and this can just all blow over. No, they had their names changed and they were happy to do that. They learned how to speak the new language. They were happy to do that. They were happy to get themselves integrated in, in society Because God had not called them to separate themselves from that society. Because of their love for Jesus, God wanted to use them to impact and influence the Babylonian society. And that's exactly what they did. The first thing that we're we're faced with is they were going to go into training for a couple of years. And part of this training, there was certain food that was allocated for them to eat. And when the food was allocated to them to eat, they realized that some of the stuff that we were going to eat, we are not permitted by our law to partake of that stuff. And so they didn't step out in arrogance and said, we refuse to eat this rubbish food that you're giving us. We're going to take a stand and we're going to trust that God is going to be with us. No, I love the way that they, they approached. They trusted for God's favor. And so this is what happened. So this is the, the test that they faced. They said, please test your servants. Daniel chapter 1 verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men that eat the royal food. 
and treat us in accordance with what you see. And so we agreed and we tested them for 10 days. How did this happen? You see, God, they resolved not to defile themselves. God showed them favor by them allowing to have a different diet. It says at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier, better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So God took away their choice food and wine that they were to drink and gave them the food and vegetables that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ate. And so the picture for me is when we are choosing to integrate ourselves with the society that God has called us to, we're not separating ourselves from Chicago. God, how do we impact and influence the people that are living around us? Not by separating ourselves, but by integrating ourselves and saying, let's get into their homes. Let's, let's get them into our buildings. And when they come in, let's expose them to something of the good news. Not to freak them out and make them feel like legalism and fear is going to drive you to the kingdom of God. No, it's through the love of Jesus Christ. How he saved us is the same way he's going to save them. A revelation of who Jesus is. But the picture here, by them sticking to their convictions, they changed the diet of the day. Which means that God can use us to impact and influence society. And so back home, I don't know how much time I've got left, but back, but, but back home, I'm full time with the church, unlike, I don't know how you do this, bro, but um, praise the disciple. For this man to have this busy life that he has with all their kids and still to do what God has called him to, that alone says to me that this is a man that's trying to fulfill the plans and purposes God has for him. And um, well done for your commitment to what God has called you to you. But back home, um, because I'm full-time in ministry, I spend a lot of time with Christians. But I know that that's not just what God has called me to. And so I can't just say, well, my moment to speak to unsaved people is the, the few men and women that get invited to our church. Now, I want to say, God, use me as a normal human being. I, I don't want to elevate myself and say, well, that's not my role. No, every one of us has been called to share the good news. And so what I've chosen to do is find like a social, I don't know, outlet. And so I enjoy playing golf. And the area I stay has got a little, um, we call it a messy golf course. I don't know what it's called over here. It's um, where every hole is a par three. It's got a different name. Somebody tell me what it was called. But it's every hole is a par three. So it's a small little course. But every Friday, we have a meat competition. So the first top five golfers win meat. And the, the one that plays the worst golf has to dry, down a little shooter. And I'm like, oh, come on. Seriously? So the, so the pastor, so I'm every, every time I play golf, I'm like, Jesus, please don't let me come last. But there has been a moment. Not so many, but I have come last. And I don't want to get all legalistic and say, oh, I'm not going to down that little shoot. I'm like, whatever. I just, I do it for the sake of what God has called me to. Because I don't want them to feel like, hey, listen, I, I'll, I'll play golf. When I win meets, I'll take the prize. But when I lose, I'm not going to stoop down to your level and do your little stupid down little. So what? One little shot twice a year is not going to kill me. And so I've, I've had worse golf a couple of times. But what I've chosen to do is, God, I, I want to try and integrate myself with society, but I also want to get to the place where I resolve not to cross a line that God doesn't want me to cross. And I think this is where it becomes a little bit more important. God's call is to integrate ourselves with society, but we don't have to become like them. And so when the golf is finished, it can get a little bit rough in the pub. The one drink, two drink, and then the guys, when it gets to, I don't know, the third, fourth beer, I think they start speaking differently. They start behaving differently. And 
Can remind myself of the Paul said, don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And so for me, I love that picture that he uses that same analogy with alcohol and the Spirit. He says, when you, when you drink alcohol, you become under the influence of alcohol. And so, I don't know, you guys are talking in South Africa, you're cheering, you're fierce actors. Um, I, always, I always love watching... Always love watching drunk people when they when they try and act sober. It's almost like I don't know what it is. They they almost like brace themselves, but there's just a sweetness to acting, but you can see your whole body's trying to I'm like, why do drunk people want to act sober? I mean you've chosen to get to that place. But here it goes. I understand that that's the line that I don't want to cross. Because just as people speak differently, act differently, behave differently when under the influence of alcohol, I want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I want people to still hear the right speech. I still want people to see the right behavior. And that's the responsibility I have. And so there comes a moment in my golfing social environment where things start getting out of hand. That's my moment to have an exit plan. And for me, this is important. If you want to wreck society, have a good exit plan. I don't want to say, guys, I'm, I'm out of here. And they'll say, oh, come on, Mark. Why don't you come and have another drink with us? I'm like, no, I, I, I'm not going to cross this line. This is where my Christianity kicks in. And I'm not going to stoop down to your level and carry on hanging with you guys. That will be a ridiculous exit line. Because that's me saying, I've come this far. But you know what? Actually, this is where you guys on the wrong level and I'm going to take my little self-righteous little attitude and I'm going to exit out. No! I just say, have a good exit plan. You want people to be connected with you. And so I'll say something stupid. Well, not something stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid how you said that. You know, it's just moment. I did not mean to say something stupid like this. I would say, hey chaps, listen, I'm, I'm out of here. It's been great hanging with you guys. Oh, come on, Mark, have a couple of drinks. I said, I'd love to stay and hang with you guys. But have you seen my wife? I would much rather exit right now and go spend the rest of my evening with my beautiful wife than you ugly gossips say, I'll see you guys next Friday. That's a better exit line. You know what I'm saying? They don't feel offended. And when I play golf, often, as I'm teeing off on the first hole, when I was standing in the balcony, I hardly, and everybody, the coaches are about to tee off. I'm like, don't do this, man. Why does everybody have to come outside and watch me tee off? But, but there's a healthy banter that takes place. And I can remember the, the one guy said, Hey, chaps, come. Let's, let's check the pass for tee off. All right, everybody runs to the balcony. I'm like, Lord Jesus. I, I know I should ask you for things that really matter. But right now, just have, let me have so little that it's long shot. And let me not bust this up. And so when you bust this up, it means you, you slice it or you hook it. That's another, so that's an expression. And so as I'm about to tee off, I'm like, Jesus, please help me. I tee off, and I kid you not, my ball lands about a half a meter away from the flag. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. And I just turned to the balcony and I said, you can have this type of golf as well if you just give your life to Jesus. That's a healthy banter that takes place. Fortunately, they didn't see the rest of the golf. It was absolutely atrocious, and my ball was all over the show. But here's the thing. One of the golfers passed away. And I don't use that opportunity to minister to them at the golf course. One of, the, one of the golfers passed away a couple of weeks ago. Who did they ask to do the funeral? They asked me. Why? Because they know me and they know that I'm a pastor. I'm, like, I'm mates with them. And so for them, it was, it was a no-brainer. Hey, Mark, would you mind doing the service? And so that was my moment. And I didn't choose that as a moment to preach down at them. I choose that as a moment. You don't come to our church. Well, no, you are here. 
I'm no longer with them. And so now they're seeing a different side of me. Mark the bad friend golfer to mark the one that this is what I do on a Sunday. We don't condemn people. We, we share the gospel. We give people a hope for their future. And so that's what God's called us to do. Not separate ourselves from society. You know, when we get together on a Sunday, this worship that we do with our hands in the air, I love it. I love worshiping Jesus. I can remember the first time um, that I was in church. I, everybody's like worshiping and fussing and their hands are in the air. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'd love to. I'd love to also just be free. I used to be very conservative and, and stiff when it came to worship. I would just stand there and everybody else is like hands in the air. And I'm like, oh, I so badly want to just worship Jesus. Why do I want to put my hands in the air? It's like, I just, I don't know, it just feels right. It just feels like, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. But I was embarrassed to put my hands in the air. Believe it. Like, as if the whole church is like looking at me. And so I'm standing there, I'm thinking, hang on, I've got to do this. And um, I can remember just closing my eyes. And I was just so caught up in worship. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to worship, be free and worship Jesus. And my hands were in the air. And uh, I can remember the guy who was standing next to me, with name of, his name was Carl Heiner. And I can remember just standing there, just worshiping. And then all of a sudden, there was like a, a jigger in my seat. And I was just accidentally enjoying worship. I didn't know what was happening. My eyes were closed. The next thing, my wife pokes me in my, my side. And so as I opened my eyes, I had turned 90 degrees. And I was looking at Carl Heiner's ears. And... Carl was standing there dancing and I was still so embarrassed and I put my hands down and so now you see me in the front and I'm worshipping my hands in the air but my one eye's open just to make sure that I, that I face the front. But God has called us to be free. Yes, but, but at the same time, although I love worship, I love getting together on a Sunday and just being free and worshipping Jesus, I've come to realize this, that the worship we do on a Sunday morning is an entry level of worship for us as believers. This is the lowest form of worship that we can ever experience. Why? Because Romans chapter 12 says, What is your spiritual act of worship? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. We worship when we are in society, meeting up with people, going to the golf courses, and just loving people for who they are. And so my heart's desire for this local church is how do we walk into all that God has for us? Well, Daniel chapter 1, just make sure that there's a line that you don't cross and God's favor, when you choose not to cross that line, that God's favor will help you to influence and impact society. They become like us as we set the model of our worship to Jesus to them. The second thing was when there was an image of gold that was set up. And they said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bow down and worship. For the next 30 days, nobody is allowed to... When, 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 the, when the worship, worldly worship goes, we'll play all the flute, the... I don't know what those instruments were, but you can, you can read it in the book of... Daniel, it says, The image of gold has been set up by Nebuchadnezzar. When the worst worldly worship starts playing, everybody must bow down and worship that image of gold. And if you don't bow down, we will throw you into the fiery furnace. And this is another thing that I feel will be good for us as believers. Because I think sometimes what we do as Christians, we have this sort of name it and claim it mentality. And when we name it and claim it and God doesn't come through for us, we almost start doubting, well, maybe I'm not in the right place. I think a healthy sign of a healthy church is we, when we understand that God is able, but God is still sovereign. And so, so, so what if Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, no, we're not going to bow down and, and worship this image of gold. 
Surely the God that we worship will not throw us in a fiery furnace. And so we will stand our ground. But then what if God throws us into the fiery furnace? But then we run into the fiery furnace thinking, Oh God, you let us down. We stood. We did not bow down to the things of the world. And now you're throwing us into the furnace? What sort of a God are you? Can you imagine they entered into the fiery furnace with that attitude? But this is what they said. Well, first, uh, uh, when everybody bowed down, they went to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3, verse 12. It says, There are people who pay no attention to your king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar says, Now then, here's your second chance. When you hear the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready, fall down and worship the image I made. Very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods, worship the image of God that you have set up. They understood God is able, but they also understood God is sovereign. Actually, we don't care how this ends. We just won't bow down. Our relationship with God is not based on the outcome of the circumstance. Our relationship with God is based on the revelation of who he is. I think of Stephen that was stoned to death. Now, this is based on scripture that I absolutely love. What was, what was Stephen doing when he was being stoned to death? He was lifting up the name of Jesus. And if you know what that looks like, they would bury you half your body in the sand. There's no escaping. There's no running away for Stephen and God help you to run fast and get away from the stoning. No, he was trapped. They bury you to your waist and then they start stoning you. What, is, what did the people do when they looked at Stephen? They said, there's something about his face. He, it's like he's glowing like the face of an angel. You see, that's God's favor that comes upon us even when we go through a time of suffering. And then if you have to ask yourself, where is Jesus today? The Bible said he is seated at the right hand of the Father. But you know what I love about Stephen stoning? He says he looked up to heaven and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. This is almost like actually we will persevere and do whatever is necessary to be used by God no matter what the cost is. And it's almost like you get this picture that as Stephen was being stoned to death, Jesus actually stood up. He got up, not seated at the right hand of the Father. Stands, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You know, when we persevere and go through trials and tribulations and we stick to our convictions, that's Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father and says, Go, Mark. Go, you. Go, Vanessa. You can do this. Don't worry about how this is going to end. You know how this is going to end. You will spend eternity with me. The last picture I want to, and I want to close with this, the last picture in the book of Daniel is when Daniel eventually, they, he so distinguished himself from everybody else, they wanted to shut him down because they knew that the king was going to set him up over everybody else. And so they said the only way that we can catch Daniel is if it's got to do with his relationship with God. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to devise a plan and for the next 30 days, everybody can, must only pray to King Nebuchadnezzar. If anybody prays to any other god, they'll be chucked in the lion's den. 
maybe get an Edward King agrees to this. So what does Daniel do? It says, when Daniel heard that this decree was put in place, it said he went back to his room, and three times a day he went into his room where the windows opened, I don't know what direction it was, it says three times a day he got on his knees and prayed. But here's the key, just as he had done before. You see, we don't come to a place of worship just because we know things are going to get tough. The thing that I love about Daniel is he, he just didn't change anything, just as he was in the habit of doing. You see, when we fear of what, what's going to happen, it shouldn't change the way that we behave. So an intimate relationship with Jesus is going to be a key thing for us to walk into all that God has for us.